0: All right, I am just as excited to be here as everyone else is. It is uh, always wonderful to come to uh, Bible study and see such happy and smiling faces. <laughs> and then they smile at me and I'm going, who's smiling at me? <laughs> really exciting. Um... This is going to be announced later, but I'm going to kind of throw it out there right now. We're going to have posted, you're going to receive an email, and I know you probably cannot see this, unless I zeroed in on Pat. Uh, <laughs> uh, but there's a little funny little QR code, and you've seen those around places, stores, etc. And you just put your phone up to it on the photo, uh, portion, and Mike, I'm, I'm talking to Mike Schoonmaker, and you just put your phone up to it, like a picture. You don't take the picture. You just put your phone up to it, and and then this little this little um, app will come up, and you just touch it. It will open up, and when it opens up, it's going to say uh, the angry Welcome to the angry Church of Christ, and it's what we're going to start using to help with the attendance. It's really um, challenging to uh, keep track of uh, who's coming, who's here, who isn't here. So this will be sent to your home. So at home, you'll you'll have to um, make a when you receive the email, print it off and you'll have a hard copy somewhere and then you can, you know, you can sign in from home and you can sign in from here at the building and it's, uh, just a, a help aid for us uh, at the office. It makes it a little bit easier and, um, I'm not saying Judy is a little forgetful, but you know, she's doing the best she can. Now it'll give Judy a break. She's really having a, a fun time, but with so many people coming, um, it's, it's just making it a little more challenging and that's going to make it easier because the spreadsheet is uh, much larger now. So, and those who are helping Judy keep attendance as well. So, expect that in the email coming up this, uh, this week, Lord willing, and, uh, posted somewhere throughout the building, uh, in the foyer area, and maybe even in the auditorium. You will see them. We'll remind you of it, okay? So, it'll be announced again later, uh, this evening. Let's go to God, please, in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for your greatness and for your blessings and for your kindness and for your compassion and for your love and for granting to us this fellowship, this opportunity to study your word. Who would have ever known, Lord God, the greatness of fellowship had you not shown it to us and taught us? Thank you for your great blessing to show us uh, the happiness and the joy in fellowship, Tonight, as we study your word, we pray that you will open up our hearts and our minds to understand and to grow. We pray you'll keep our mind from worldly thought and help us, Lord God, to receive from your word what you have in store for us tonight. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank thee, if it be thy will. Amen. Okay, we're going to Isaiah chapter 55 tonight regarding um, understanding the language of the Bible. So, this is where sometimes um, some people get into trouble. Atheists get into trouble with this. Um, a lot of denominations get into trouble with this. When you take a scripture, is it a a figurative scripture with a figurative meaning behind it, and a picture and, and all those things, or is it to be taken literally, right? Is it literal or is it is it figurative? And I want to talk about that over the next uh, a couple of weeks, Lord willing. So a literal passage of the scriptures, you know, you're gonna find that Jesus or the scriptures themselves are going to mention facts, right? And then names of persons, uh, people, places, incidents that have happened or occurred. Um, you'll find commandments. You'll find warnings. And they, and they say what they say. And they mean what they say. And when you think of a a a literal understanding of the scriptures, you think of um, baptism. It's it's literal, right? It's it literally is going down physically into the water and then rising uh, from a spiritual uh, death. The old man goes away, the new man. It's it's figurative. It's it's a, a excuse me. It's a literal teaching, but in the world of denominationalism, they've turned it into figurative. It's a figurative idea. You don't really have to go into the waters of baptism. It really doesn't mean what it says, and it doesn't say what it means. It actually means something else. When you're dealing with um, with with the literal text in the scriptures, there is no hidden meaning. I mean, it it's exactly what it says that it is, and so. Um, First Peter 3.21 is where someone might go, you know, in the like figure though, baptism also now save you, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but it's an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they say, oh see, in the like figure, so it's figurative. And that's, that's not what uh, the text is teaching. so. Um, there's a very deep spiritual meaning behind it because when you deal with a passage and you're saying, is this a figurative passage or is this literal? Well, you look at all the other times the Bible speaks of baptism and you see it's, it's never figurative. It's always literal. And so, but they take that one scripture or that one idea that they may receive from somewhere and then they apply to every scripture and you can't do that. So it's very important that we, we personally understand the difference between literal uh, scriptures and, and things that are being said and stated and that which is, uh, figurative. And so I want to talk about the figurative, uh, tonight. And it's not something that's new, right, to us, like when you hear, uh, when someone says, we're going to talk about figurative language in the Bible. And you go, what, it, tell me how that works and what is that and is it, is it mystical or is it, no, it's, it's, well, we, we do it all the time. Right, we use figurative language in our in our everyday speech. You know, we say things like we talk to our children. Have I told you a million times to clean your room? Haven't I? Well, figuratively, it's an impossibility, right? Um, A diamond is forever. That's right. That's that's figurative. Um, And then we and we 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 say many things like like that. We're gonna I'm gonna ride like the wind. Or how about this one? I know you've said this before or at least thought this one before. Love is blind, right? It's like, okay, that's why these two are together. And that's why Nikki, Mary, Tony, love is blind, right? Yeah. Amen, yeah. That was figurative, by the way, a figurative amen. Uh, um, it's raining like cats and dogs or they fought like cats and dogs. So, you know, we, we use this kind of language Often in our everyday uh, speech, Isaiah 55, I want to just grab, um, just, just three real quick ones. Verse 12. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Be kind of tough, wouldn't it? <laughs> Right, so obviously it's not literal. We we understand that that's an easy one. Second Samuel chapter uh, one and verse twenty three. Second Samuel chapter one and verse twenty three. The Bible says, "Saul and Jonathan, beloved and pleasant in their life and their death, they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles and they were stronger than lions." And then the last one I am want to look at really quickly is Leviticus chapter 18 and the verse is 25. Leviticus 18 and the verse is 25. For the land has become defiled. Therefore I have visited its punishment upon you upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. And so those are you know, figuratively speaking, right? Is what God it's telling us. So so figurative language will involve um, symbols, stories, or other descriptive means to try to get um, a truth across, right? To try to express some kind of truth to us. And let's, let's think about the purpose then. Why would God use figurative language in in the Bible? And the reality is it's to to illustrate or to portray to us right, graphically, Some, something that's taught somewhere else in the scripture, but he's really trying to make a point, you know, he's bringing the point home to us, and so he may speak uh, in figurative language, uh, and then you, you think about uh, to give us an understanding of, of what it was like to be back in that day, he'll give us a picture, you know, like, you know, how many of us are shepherds, well, none of us, right? So we need pictures to learn how to be shepherds or to understand what it is that Jesus is speaking of to explain the unseen. This is really important. To tr- explain the unseen by the seen. So so Jesus starts talking. and goes, the kingdom of heaven is like. And you go, what's it like? And he goes, it's like this pearl in the field. And it was so large that, you know, and he just tells us this story about this pearl and you are going, wow, I've got to have that pearl, right? No, the reality is he's telling you how great heaven is. And you can do, do that over and over again and understand the great picture that God is trying to uh, to demonstrate to us to to make truth more vivid in our minds. And so we're reading the scriptures and and we want the Bible to come alive in our hearts. It's already living and active, right? But you want it to come alive in your heart. And so God paints this word picture for us and you go, okay, now, now I get that. And you can see the, the parables. He starts telling the parables and it was just, which are figurative, right? And he's, he's telling the story, you know, this, this man was, um, uh, the prodigal son. You know, he, he goes out from his family and what does he do? Right? He lives in, And loose living, and he squanders all his money, and then you start seeing the picture, and you go. And when he when he left home with all the money, guess what he had? A bunch of friends, right? And when he lost all of his money, guess what he had? No more friends. And we go, oh yeah, that sounds. Oh yeah, I get that picture, Lord. And then everything the prodigal did, right, and the whole story and account about that. So, so it's to give us a good a good understanding or a a good lasting moment of. Of imagery in our minds, making the left and the right brain connect. When you get the revelation, it's, um, it, it, it conceals itself and it reveals itself, right? Babylon the Great, and we know later on through the teaching that it's Rome, right? And so it, it's a book of concealment and a book that, that reveals. I want to go to Luke chapter 9. So there are many purposes for using, uh, figurative language. When we're looking at the scriptures and we're trying to understand, um, maybe in a, in a thought or um, in a word picture, well, so, sometimes people take a figurative teaching and and turn it into a, a doctrine, and and that's that's a no no, right? That's but that's what you have when you're trying to make the Bible say something that it doesn't actually say in order to make everyone say, rah, 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 I love this church. You know, it's all about me or whatever it is, right? You can do that with the Bible over and over again. You can take a scripture, a passage that is is meant to to be figuratively uh, spoken of, and you read that passage, and you you make this huge picture, and you go, this is what God wants for me. You know, and then the whole church, you should know that. Everyone feels great when they leave. And they feel great when they come back because they want to hear some more of this stuff that isn't even true. It's not accurate according to the Scriptures. Okay, but let's look. Luke 9 and verse, um, verse 60. So if you have an interpretation of a Scripture, you're looking at it and you start reading it, and you say, wait, that's an impossibility. Well, that lets you know this is a figurative message that is coming across to us. Verse 60, but he said to them, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. So here Jesus is talking about a discipleship, and he's saying, "Hey, you know, come to me." And they all had reasons why they couldn't come, and then one, "Let me bury my, my, you know, the dead." He says, "No, let the dead bury." Well, you know, a dead person can't bury himself, right? We understand the spiritual application behind the message that Jesus was given, and so or given to us, and so this would be figurative uh, language. Let's look at another one: uh, John chapter eleven. Another time you can know the language is figurative is when the interpretation involves some kind of, um, like a contradiction or an inconsistency. Now, I mean, the Bible doesn't contradict itself, so you automatically have to step away when you're looking at the Scriptures. And you've, you've had maybe this question asked of you, or maybe the statement made to you, well, the Bible contradicts itself. Or someone may ask the question, well, doesn't the Bible contradict itself? And your answer would obviously be, well, of course it does not contradict itself, but there are contradictions if you try to take a figurative scripture and make it literal, right? And so, see, it's the understanding we're talking about how to study and understand the Bible. If you're if you're taking a literal passage uh, and trying to make it. Figurative, or taking a figurative passage and trying to make it literal, or if you're taking a type and an antitype, and you try, you can, you know, you can't confuse these things all up and and boggle them down. Sometimes the scriptures are a little bit difficult until you step away and say, okay, what is God actually trying to tell me? Is this a figurative message? This beautiful spiritual message that's coming to me that I'm missing, or is it something that He is saying literally that I'm literally supposed to do this or to do that? Like someone, uh, uh, you know, we think about, like, do what Jesus said. And then you, you take the Scriptures out of context. You know, and next thing you know, you got people doing things they ought not do. Right? Because they took it out of context. Be very careful how we read and teach and study the Scriptures. Okay. John 11. So here's a, a contradiction or an inconsistency uh, in the Scriptures. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, they have to step away. Remember, they're at Lazarus' tomb. We know Lazarus believed in Jesus and loved Jesus and honored Jesus. But Lazarus is dead. <laughs> so how can this be? Well, obviously, Jesus is speaking figuratively. He's giving them a message because you are going to die. But what was he talking about? Right? You take the application that God is giving is not a physical application, but a spiritual one. Right? A spiritual one. We're gonna die physically, but we'll never die spiritually. So in reality, you never die, because the reality is, we leave this earth, we close our eyes in life, we end in death, we wake up, just like that. It's just, it's just the transition, based on the scriptures, it's just, it's like that. You, You, you leave this world and you're already in the next world. Just like that. It's amazing. It's so incredible. It's like, I think about when um, uh, one of our brothers had a had a heart attack, massive heart attack. Died before he hit the ground. I was like, wow, before he even hit the ground, he was already there. Like, that's pretty cool. That's exciting, right? Uh, he promises to be with us in our life. He promises to be with us in our death. And then this this, this scripture here is saying, hey, you know, even if you die, you'll live. Don't worry about it. You gotta understand the spiritual meaning behind that. Now that passage is so deep because when the Romans came and threatened their lives, they thought to themselves, you know what's gonna happen, right? I'm gonna die in this life and boom, just like that, I'm gonna wake up in glory. Right? No big, no big deal. It's a whole different view of life and death and then a different vantage point of the understanding of life and death when you understand what it is that Jesus is, uh, the message he's conveying, and what it is that he's really actually trying to say to us, right? And so, know when to take it figuratively, know when to take it literally. So what has happened? Well, some people have, have thought to themselves, well, you take a physical passage, and you go, okay, well, I can jump off this bridge, and even if I die, I'm going to live. But that's not what the Bible says. You ever heard about the person? Look at this next scripture. Luke, uh, I mean, uh, Matthew chapter 18 there was a person who was reading the Bible. This is a true story. And um, as they were reading, they, they kind of got mixed up on the, from, between the figurative and the literal. And they read a passage like this one. Matthew um, chapter 18, verses 8 and verse 9. And if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it out from you. It is better for you to enter into life crippled or lame than having two hands or two feet and to be cast into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it um, from it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye than having two eyes and to be cast into the fire, fiery hell. So, here's an immoral conclusion. But they didn't, they took it literal. And then literally started practicing some of the things that were there and they were, they were cutting off limbs of their bodies saying, we're following what the Bible says. Can be really careful how we how we take the Bible, right? When we're teaching it, and so when when people come to us with different um, doctrines or dogmas from from wherever religious background they come from, uh, even in the church, make sure that we take a step back and take a look at the passage in its proper context and ask ourselves what what is the Bible, what message is it conveying, what is God trying to say to us? So let's look at one from the Brotherhood, uh, Matthew chapter twenty six. Is it figurative, or is it literal? Matthew 26 and verse 27. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. Now, there, there's a, a group within the brotherhood that they, they use one cup, and, and they argue over the cup. Now, is that literal, or is that figurative? Because you can't drink a what? You can't drink a cup. If I give you an empty cup, you can't drink the... You, you, how are you going to drink the cup? The literal... Is it a star foam cup? Is it a, is it a... I mean, I don't know. Is it a porcelain cup? What You can't drink a cup. So it's not literal. It's figurative. You drink the contents within the cup. And he says, this is my blood... Which is for you, and so uh, again, back to the literal, and back to the, back to the figurative. And I've met some brethren who um, really take the scriptures very literal, on um, practically every scripture literal, and it's it's difficult to study with with people who take every passage literally. So you have to literally take your time and go really, really slowly, and say, let's go look at that scripture again, and go over that scripture like five to seven times. And let's go read it again. All right, now let's think about this. So when Jesus says he took the cup, using this as an example, he took the cup and he gave thanks. Did he say, dear God, thank you for this cup? And think about an empty cup first. Let's empty the cup. Is he saying, thank you for this cup? And if it's this cup, it can't be other cups because it's only this cup, right? He took the cup. The cup, not many cups, not a multiplicity of cups. He just took this one, this, whatever the cup looked like. I don't know if it was, I mean, I don't know anything about the cup, because I've never seen the cup. But he took this cup, and he prayed for this cup. Why would he pray for this literal cup? What is the purpose? What is the spiritual meaning behind the literal cup? And there is none, right? So then we understand, okay, figuratively speaking, of the cup because he's actually literally speaking of what? The contents within the cup. And so, unfortunately, um, to, to this day, there is still still many, many one-cup congregations, and they believe you only use one cup. And then it goes into one cup, and then, you know, the, you've heard the, all the arguments about the one cup, right? Um, anyway, that's not our top topic for tonight. But I want to give you an example of well, how we're going to deal with that scripture, and, and you know, what are we going to do with what Jesus is trying... Uh, to tell us. Let's turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. I appreciate some of our older brethren that would say that Jerusalem cup was a really big cup, right? Because 3,000 people drank from one cup. You know, right? That's a big cup. Man. And then the question is, do we have to use that cup? Was that the one he used? Who carried it in? How'd they get it there? Horse and buggy. All right. Um, John 2. Whoop. When, it, when it's obvious that he's speaking in a literal way, because Jesus makes it obvious. Because the conversation makes it obvious. Verse 18, John chapter 2. The Jews therefore answered and said to him, What sign do you show us, seeing that you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up the Jews therefore said it took 46 years to build this temple and when you raise it up in 3 days so now now you look at the temple and just imagine the temple being you know larger than this building and we're standing outside of this building and and Jesus says you tear this building down and in 3 days I I'll, I'll build it back up and then you look at it and you go okay well let me see we we need backhoes we need we need cranes we need the structure, the wood. We need nails. We need. How are you going to rebuild it? There's no way possible that you can rebuild a building, an edifice like this in three. It's an absolute impossibility. So, is he going to do a miracle? Is that what he's talking about, or is he talking about something else? Right. And the reality is that he was talking about something else. We know that, but they they took it literal. And because they took it literally, they did. They misunderstood the message of Jesus, verse twenty-one. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And so now we understand, as we read through the scriptures, and God says you are a holy temple. We understand he's not talking about the building. What happens is, um, and he's talking. He's talking about us, right? Every every Christian is what a walking, talking church building, right? A walking, talking temple, and so that's why we are very careful with how we speak and what we say, our attitudes, our tempers, etc., because when they see us, they should see who? Jesus, right? And if they see Jesus and he's not being reflected properly through our lifestyle, that that causes them sometimes to walk away. We, we ought to get out of the habit of saying, well, I hope to see you Sunday at church. It's, it's, I know, it's, 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 common language. But the reality is, we are the church. So I hope to see you Sunday at worship right? or Bible study on Wednesday night because you can't, I mean, we are the church, right? The people, individual members make up the church. The building is nothing. Right, The building is... We can meet under a tree. We can meet in cars. We can meet anywhere. The building is absolutely nothing. But this is our designated meeting place. And so we treat it as as something that's valuable and important. But this isn't the church. We are the church, right? And so try not to get our, the language mixed up because it is kind of confusing when you were talking uh, to people. Okay. Uh, John 4. Let's go look at that one. John chapter 4. Now... When, when you think of you know you, when you're in school and they say, "Well, when common sense tells you that this obviously is, is not literal, it's got to be figurative, you know you start searching for common sense and going, "Well, I just you know I don't really understand the text, so I, I kind of I'm cautious in saying that one, but um but when you look at the text and you read the text, and then the text teaches you that it, it's not literal, it's figuratively uh, spoken of. Uh, for example, this woman at the well. Common sense, or it's just, it, it it's pretty obvious it's not. So, this woman is at the well, and the well is deep, and she explains that. In verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, where then do you get that living water? So her mind is focused on the physical. Because they're standing at a well. She has gotten water out of this well many, many times before. Jesus asked her for a drink. She wasn't going to give him an empty cup. Right back to the cup thing, right? She wasn't going to give him an empty cup or, or, or pitcher or drink from something. She was going to give him this actual water. Now what she did miss was the question that you might ask. What, what is the difference between what is living water? You know, you, you said living water. This is just, well, is this water living? You know, you start asking questions about living water. She's stuck in the physical. And how many times in the scriptures do you read where Jesus is teaching a spiritual message, but people are stuck in the physical? And that happens to this day, right? That... Sometimes we read the living message of God, but we're so stuck in the physical that it, it, never, it never translates into our lives, right? And so this is how the powerful message of Jesus, the message of God comes across, that sometimes we never make the transition from the physical to the spiritual, right? Even just reading the New Testament. The Old Testament we know is all about the physical, and then the New Testament carries us into the spiritual. But sometimes in our lives... The spiritual message doesn't translate into our lives over or transform over into the spiritual, right? We just kind of get stuck. So here she is. She's stuck in the physical, and she wants to know, how in the world are you going to get this water? Okay, and she's trying to figure this thing out. And I love it because she's perplexed, and she really wants to know. Um, where are we? Verse 11. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water. Now she's starting to get the message. You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drink of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Well, she well, she's kind of still stuck in the physical, isn't she? You know, she brings up the living water, but then she goes to Jacob and goes, she's still talking about this water. It makes perfect sense. Right? To me, it makes perfect sense. It made perfect sense to her. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water shall thirst again but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. It's like wow, that's pretty cool, right? She got the picture, right? She got and and she said in verse 15 to him, sir, give me this water so that well maybe she didn't get the picture. right? Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. I mean, well, think about her drawing water from that well. She was um, a woman of, of, you know, multiple relationships and probably would have had to go during the heat of the day. All the other ladies went at, a you know, the early morning or the late hours in the evening, and she would have gone in the heat of the day because, well, they ridicule you when you live that way, that kind of lifestyle. And she had such a background that she probably didn't want to be ridiculed, and so she was there alone. By herself, and so in the heat of the day, she's carrying this water from one location to another. I don't know the distance. The Bible doesn't tell us the distance that she carried that water, but you know that's a that's a that's heavy, right? To carry a bunch of water. Uh, what a what a tremendous burden. But when she finally gets it, she goes and tells everyone about Jesus, right? Once you finally get it. And so, again, we have to be able to read the scriptures and allow God to, to give us the message he's trying to betray to us and lift out of it the spiritual application to the message that he's trying to teach us. Sometimes it's literal, and sometimes it's figurative. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 8. So there are some rules that we should uh, try to apply when trying to understand a figurative language, we want to first kind of determine what what kind of figure it is, and then we want to follow the author's explanation. Um, Definitions in the Bible. Definitions are are critical. Whenever you read the Bible, and God, you start in the Old Testament, okay, this is really important, start in the Old Testament, and, and find a word, And allow God to define that word. And then whatever the definition of that word is, it remains the same definition all the way through the Bible until it's changed by God. Okay? So somewhere in the scriptures, God will change the meaning of that definition. And then you go, okay, that word no longer means this. Now that word means this And so then you keep that new definition, and then as you read through the rest of the scriptures, we keep that definition until it's changed somewhere else in the Bible. So the Bible is its own uh, dictionary, if you will. So, um, he gave a definition. Luke uh, chapter 8 and down in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now, we we have to be careful when we're thinking, okay, because... Figurative language will change sometimes what what seed means, okay? Here, the seed is the Word of God, but in in other places, you've been born of of a spiritual seed, right? Which is, yeah, kind of the Word of God, but it's a spiritual nature. I'm going to look at that that idea more in, in just a moment. But let the Word define itself. So now when you read the rest of the parable, and you understand the seed is the Word of God, remember that, write down the word seed, write down Word of God, and every time you see the word seed all throughout the parable, know it's speaking of the Word of God. And what will happen is, the depth of the parable, or the depth of the teaching, whatever it is, will become very real in your study. And it will become deeper and deeper because of what it actually is saying to us. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 13. So we're harmonizing then the spiritual or the figurative rather um, with the literal. We we want to think about customs and times, right? Um, I don't I don't know about you, but when I think about seeds, um, I don't really personally uh, gain a, a a real life application because I'm not a farmer. Remember the the hearers of the word; the majority of them were agriculturalists in some way. Right, so go back into their customs and and their cultures and their times to get an understanding of you know what is Jesus talking about when he when he says the um, the, the sower was, was sowing seed. Well, how did he do that? Was he you know, was he sowing seed with a tractor? Was he throwing it with his hands? Was how they, how was he doing that? I don't know. Go back and dig, find out in history how they sowed. Seed in those days. Notice that when they, when they sowed the seed, they just threw it wherever it, you know, it landed wherever it landed. It didn't even matter, right? It just went everywhere. And you, Today we look at a, a seed spreader. We've got them, you know, you can hand crank them, you can use a motor, I mean, right? And it just lands wherever it lands. And then you go back and read the scriptures that Jesus teaches about, um you know, the seed landing wherever it lands and how some of the hearts are hardened and some of the hearts are worrisome and some... And you know, he starts depicting, teaching us, oh, that's... And you get a deeper understanding of what uh, God is saying to us in the uh, in the figurative. But here's what's really important. Don't press it too far, right? Let, first, let it say what it says. And this is really important. When you're developing a lesson, for example, um, it's easy... This is what you'll you'll notice, especially in a in our religious world today. It's easy to grab a thought or a concept or an idea, and then just make a whole entire lesson out of it, and go, "Yeah, that's what God means." It may not mean what, it may not actually mean what God means. Don't press it too far. And I've heard a lot of sermons, mostly you know from a uh, denominational standpoint, um, long long many many years ago, uh, that were really pressed way too far. You go, wow, where did you get that from? But, I mean, it sounds really good, though. Right? It sounded great, but it was wrong. Uh, because they pressed the imagery way further than what uh, the Bible intended for it to mean or to express. So, so let God first say what God is trying to say. And allow God to give us what God's trying to give us. And then from there, you may allow it to go as far as God allows it to go. So, don't press it too far. Figures of speech, this is, remember I mentioned about this, right? Let the Word of God define itself. But they change their meaning from time to time. But it's important that you not change the meaning. Let God change the meaning. All right? So I'm going to give you an example. Um, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 33. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal until it was all leaven. So the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Okay, got it. Now, hold on to that, and we're going to read and read and grow in the idea of leaven. But then turn to Matthew 16. He'll use the exact same word, uh, if you will, and beginning at verse uh, 6. He says, Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So this is where, where I love the New American Standard. I love it for this reason: it will give you a footnote, and it will say, "Oh, this is talking about yeast." So in our English translation, we we're reading leaven. and Leaven, um, but when you read it in the literally, literally, it's you know, you go back and look at the Greek. It's the idea of yeast, and you go, "Okay, I get it." And so it's still leaven, but there's something different about the message he's trying to give. So in, in Greek, you look at the ending. The ending makes a big difference. And, Uh, Anyway, I don't want to get into all that. But anyway, um, but he used the word leaven, and he says, watch out for this leaven. Wait a minute. In Matthew 13 and verse 33, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. So watch out for heaven, right? That's not what he's saying. You see, that's why it's important to really be careful. So if you took a lesson, made a lesson, you go, see, right here, leaven is great. Ah, oh, thank you God for it. And then you go to another passage and use the same idea and go, see, you gotta watch out for heaven because you never, because you never know. Right? It's, I mean, I know we wouldn't do that, but the point is, is that God's gonna change the definition and when he does, okay, so now we have a new definition in this particular context for the word leaven. We'll continue, verse seven. They began to discuss among themselves saying, it's because we took no bread. Now they're in the physical, right? Now we're out of, the, out of the heavenly realm, if you will, from Matthew 13. And we have literal, we're thinking about literal bread, contextually, right? Food. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Now keep it in this context. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Well, because you said le- leaven, right? It just kind of stuck. Keep, keep going. Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? So now when you start reading this, you're starting to go, okay, wait a minute. Now I'm getting there's a difference in leaven, between leaven and leaven, right? It's the same word, but no, it's, it's, it's different. You see, and we can pick that up without having to go back into the Greek, right? By letting the Bible speak to us. So now we continue in this and He talks about their faith. In verse 9, Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread but of the teaching so now the word leaven doesn't mean kingdom of heaven it means teaching Uh, because this leaven now you carry it further into the New Testament and it starts going into teaching that bad teaching will corrupt you bad morals will corrupt you Bad teaching will lead you astray. Bad teaching will spread like gangrene. Uh, it will, you know, everything, it spreads and spreads and spreads. So be careful of the teaching that you receive. Now, in particular here of the scribes and the Pharisees because what did they, what did they do? They taught you things that were tradition as if it were doctrine. Right? They did other things as well. But they taught you things as tradition and they said this is the doctrine that we're going to hold when you wash the when you wash your hands you wash them like this you know not like this well, you know it was just silly but really the reality is that's what they were teaching and so how strange it is and when Jesus came along when Jesus came along he had to undo some of that teaching some of the teaching was good do as they say but not as they do Matthew 23 some of the teaching was tradition that Usurped, if you will, the authority of God and that was taught as doctrine, you ever seen that in the Lord's Church? I know you have all of us have seen it in the lord's church um, and we could I can sit here and give you many examples uh, of that, and you go, well, that makes a lot of sense. What else? we should never have that you know' it's, we shouldn 't have that here are the reasons why, and the reality is usually those reasons why aren 't even in the Bible, <laughs> so be careful of our teaching, Uh, Today, figurative or literal, that's what our conversation was about this evening. Okay, our time is up. The young young ones are wanting to come in here. I think it is. And so in a moment, we'll have a devotional. uh, There'll be an invitation if you are today. You have a desire to surrender to Christ in the waters of baptism. The water is always ready, right? And so we're ready for you. God's ready for you if you're ready for him. If you have special requests on your heart or mind, Make those known, we'll pray with you, we'll pray for you. Uh, Thank you for your time this evening. We are dismissed for just a few minutes. God bless you.